This is Amateur Faith Night, a podcast where real-life friends talk about real-life religion, where questions are encouraged, doubt is talked about, and following Jesus is our main priority. Let this be a starting place for you to research things and study them out for yourself. God is bigger than all of our questions, and it is okay to not have all of the answers. I'm going to have fun with that one. And they actually, <laughs> they, they actually had uh, kind of like spats over this. I know I'm a lash. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, paper, rock, scissors. All right. <laughs> welcome back, guys. <laughs> We're lighthearted, making lighthearted talk about our discussion today, which is kind of going to be sad, probably. Um, history of the UPC. It's history of Pentecostalism. So before we get into the actual history of the United Pentecostal Church organization, since that did not start until the 1940s, um, we kind of need to go back a little bit further. So Jeremy has been doing um, some research about that. And um, yeah, where do you want to start? It's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of a heavy thing. We don't have anything funny to say, honestly. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> so yeah, so before we actually get into the history of the UPC, we have to look at the people who they would say were like God's generals that kind of led to the formation of the UPC. Um, uh, in our last episode, we mentioned Frank Sanford, Fox Parham, um, along with Dowie, and then another guy by the name of John G. Lake. And those are some of the people we're going to be discussing tonight. Um, full disclosure, these were just men. This is not to mock them because I'm sure mm. I'm, I would like to think they had good intentions from one time or another. Really? But you're, you you're going to see. But you're going to see that most of them got wrapped up into money. Some of them got wrapped up into sex. Um, and they all actually got wrapped up into power. So, I mean, generally that's why crimes are committed. Sex, mm-hmm. power, and money. And um, it happens a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. it happens a lot. Politics. Right. Anything. Anytime you start getting um, control like that, mm-hmm. you may start off with great intentions. but Yeah. And so, well, maybe we can say that they started out with great intentions. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know their heart. I don't know yeah. what their mindset was originally, but I know, in the end, they all fell, um, and that can happen to any of us. I mean, we have good intentions with this podcast, and hopefully, that nothing crazy ever happens, and we do anything to slander God or anyone for that matter. But, um, yeah, it just kind of give you an idea of where where your roots are coming from. A mm. uh, person I know keeps saying, you know, what what is it? Know your know, roots. Hashtag know your roots. Hashtag yeah. know your roots. So yeah, and I think that's a really good idea to know where you come from because if you don't know where you came from, it's kind of understand where you're at now. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna start back around 1862 with a guy by the name of Frank Sanford. Frank Sanford was a free will Baptist pastor when he first started ministering. And he claims that one day he was walking in the morning, praying, and okay, in the sky. I'm going to interrupt though, because this turns out a whole lot like um, what's his face, the Mormon. The Mormon. Guy? Yeah, yes. All I can think of is the little South Park episode of the. Have you seen that about Mormonism? No. Oh, it's so bad. Don't watch it, but oh, it's well, funny. <laughs> we're actually going to have to watch that. All right, no, I mean, dum 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 dum. Oh my gosh! I already went to a service. I can watch South Park. <laughs> okay, we'll All corrupt right. you one way or another. All right, so we're gonna have that'll be one of our next projects. We're gonna have Gary watch an episode of South Park. Dear God. Okay. But anyway, one morning he was supposedly out walking, praying, you know, communing with God, 
And while he was walking, he seen big letters in the sky with the word Armageddon. Oh. And it wasn't that he thought he seen it. He claims that the words were written out in the sky, not clouds, actually written out in the sky, and that they descended to him, the word Armageddon. Oh, this really is like the Mormon dude. What is his name? John Smith. There you go. Yep, that's where I was going with this. Anyway. I thought John Smith was Pocahontas' boyfriend. Oh, yeah, no. It is John. I thought it was John. Yeah. Something. I don't know. We're so dumb. I can Google it. (laughs) Okay. So anyway. Hey, Siri. So (laughs) he says that he continued to walk and pray and kind of think on the word Armageddon and why the Lord was impressing that on him. And as he continued to walk on and pray... He says that he then heard... It's Joseph Smith. We were really Joseph close. Joseph Smith. <laughs> All right, Joseph Smith. He, maybe John was his brother. He probably had a brother. I knew him John. by John. Yeah. <laughs> That's his middle name. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph John. He's got yeah. two first names, like Ricky Bobby. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so then he says that he heard the Lord say the word go. And it was an audible voice. It wasn't something that was just like in his heart or in his mind or something impressed on him. Okay, so he sees this random word pop down from the sky and then somebody says go? Well, he said God said go. Well, okay. Not somebody. He says God said go. Okay. I'm just making sure I got the the story straight. Yeah, we're following along. Okay. Yeah. So because of this, because of Armageddon, because of the word go, he gets impressed on him that he needs to kind of stop from being a pastor at a local church and that he needs to open a commune where people can be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Oh, this is like some Jim Jones crap. Yes, it it gets a lot like that. So he starts this commune called Shiloh. And what's really interesting about Shiloh is that there were, I think at one time, I think between six and 700 people were living there. Um, Couples, Single people, people with children, elderly, just a whole onslaught of people. Um, What was interesting is they had like normal housing, very basic bare bones, normal housing. This would have been the normal 1900s. Of course, the house that he lived in was very immaculate and large because he said that all of them had, of course, to tithe and give to him. Of course. Exclusively. Uh, A lot of them were actually like little man syndrome. A lot of them were actually forced into laboring. For the commune there at Shiloh as well. they A lot of them wouldn't hold jobs outside of the commune. So not only did they have to earn their living there, they then had to tithe on that living they earned there to him specifically. Um, but with that being said, what's one of the interesting things that kind of struck me is he had a, and we're going to get into this later, but he had a upper room prayer room. So he built a, um, a building that basically was a large, tall building, kind of slender, but in it, he had an upper room. I mean, seriously, little man syndrome. Yep. Keep going. Are you saying because it was phallic? Listen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I mean, why else would he? Well, he claims it was because he was preparing for the Lord to come back and so that they could have special prayer time in the upper room, just like during the day of Pentecost. Sure. Okay. If you Keep catch going. the letters before they get to the <laughs> room, you can spell whatever you want. All right. Yeah. It's like God's Scrabble. <laughs> You gotta catch the letters. Anyway, sorry, keep going. So what's really interesting is he he really got abusive and power hungry. And he would 
um, enforce long fast and prayer times. And their idea of long fasting was no water, no drinking, nothing. No water, no food, nothing. And that went from everyone, including the infants. Didn't you say that some babies died because of this? Yes. Yep. We're actually going to get into that. Um, So it even went for the infants as well that were there. Um, And their idea of fasting is they would start in like supper time one day. They would go all the next day up until supper time the following day. So it was like, what would that be? Really two two days? Mm-hmm. And even the infants were forced to do so. That's terrible. Yeah. So what's really interesting is that he decided he was going to do a world tour. Now, this was before the Stones, this <laughs> before the Beatles. Uh, he decided he was going to do a world tour. And he commissioned a couple of different yachts. And on these yachts, he decided to take some of his followers uh, I guess the ones that he thought were really faithful or all the young, pretty ones. Maybe. Right. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. Probably. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, so they were out on their world tour and one of the yachts crashed and sunk. And with that being said, they were forced to bring everyone that had been on that particular lot yacht onto the other one. And he refused to go back to America for more supplies, another boat, Anything of that nature, he kept saying that God would provide. Mm. And during this time period, it's reported that uh, they had to ration a cracker a meal with a couple swallows of water while his family ate two to three full Mm. meals a day over a period of weeks. And yes, there were people that died on those boats. And he claims that it was for the greater good because he had to go and preach the gospel. Did he actually get anywhere? Um, not to my knowledge, not that I actually ended up seeing, I seen, I think they went to, I want to say Greenland. They made it that far, which isn't really that far, uh, because they were up in the Northeast to begin with. Um, I think the idea that was that they were going to go to Europe, but uh, from what I understand and what I gathered and what I read didn't really make it. So they eventually came back. Uh, but during that time period, people did die. What's really also interesting is in 1897, uh, Sanford, Frank Sanford, uh, witnessed uh, a Dowie, we're, we're, and I say a Dowie, so Dowie is another minister during that time period, we'll say early Pentecostal minister, um, and he kind of picked up some of his ideas on healing being part of the atonement, mm. and that healing is guaranteed with salvation. Which and that's the, what Kim Haney said in her message. Did she say that? She did. Remember, we had the conversation about her saying that, um, I don't have my notes anywhere near me right now, but Jesus guaranteed our healing, the healing of our bodies on the cross. Anyway. Okay. So with that being said, though, he came across another minister by the name of Dowie who preached that healing was guaranteed Mm -hmm. in the atonement through the work of the cross, that basically if you were saved... There was no need to be sick. And if you were sick, then the idea is there was something spiritually wrong with you. Hmm, Especially if you were sick and you couldn't become better in a timely fashion. Gotcha. Um, So if that's the case, then you were then told that you had to pray more. You had to fast more, which led to more sickness, which led to more deaths. Um, With time, there was actually an infant that died. Uh, There was a young man that died as well, and with the young man that ended up dying, and in my notes I've got his name somewhere, 
uh, Leander Bartlett was his name, the young man that died. Uh, there were actually charges that were brought against Frank Sanford. Um, I want to say it was manslaughter, so it wasn't like murder or anything like that. So, But yes, they did bring charges good. against him. Um, I don't recall reading in any of the newspaper articles or anything that I found that he was found guilty. But to be honest, I wasn't trying to dive into that far. Because mm-hmm. in the end, whether he was found guilty or not, we know that his actions led to that. Right. So, Which I find this is super interesting because we're talking about history that's like before um, Azusa Street. Yes. And I... But this is definitely leading to Azusa. Well, right. But I had never heard of anything before Topeka or Azusa Street before. Like, I, I thought that was like the resurrection of Pentecostalism, basically, when I was UPC. But this is, I mean, this is before that, and he had... A nice tall building with an upper room at that point. Mm-hmm. So was his was his point with the upper room to speak in tongues or to be healed or just to pray in general? Uh, he was a restorationist, meaning that he thought his actions were going to bring back Christ. Like Christ was going to come back because of the actions that he was following. So his idea was he needed to have this upper room for a great outpouring of the Spirit that would lead to Christ returning his ideas he was trying to replicate acts too. Okay. So here we are already before Topeka or anybody even supposedly thought of that before. Yes, you're you're hundred percent correct. And that's actually one of the things that I was going to jump into. What's really interesting is we see that in June of nineteen hundred, anyone that's been in the UPC is familiar with the name Fox Parham. Mm-hmm. Fox Parham And we're going to dive into a little bit, but we're going to bring it back. So for those that aren't familiar with Fox Parham, Fox Parham opened a Bethel Bible College. And we're we're probably going to make jokes about Bethel here in a little bit. Um, No, I'm not going to go sign up for Bethel Bible College. (laughs) So Bethel Bible College. He opened a Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. Um, And it was like this abandoned mansion kind of thing. He took it over, started Bible College. And, of course, there was a... Supposedly a great Holy Spirit outpouring with tongues that took place there. And he claims that he was the one that restored tongues Mm. to Christianity. However, what's really interesting is during the summer of 1900, prior to the outpouring in Topeka, Fox Parham actually taught for approximately six weeks for Frank Sanford. (laughs) The June prior to the New Year's outpouring in Topeka. And during that time period, Frank Sanford informed Parham that about his upper room experience and that just the New Year's before, this is interesting, the New Year's prior, that they had 120 people in their upper room and 120 people spoke in tongues just like on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Is it inappropriate for me to say, sure they did. (laughs) No, it's not inappropriate at all. With that being said, though... Well, maybe they did, but was it genuine? Like, it could have been just, like, some of the stuff we've talked about and I've talked about. Like, I guess I need to speak in tongues now because they're doing it, and you start rattling off some stuff. But, like, what did they... you to fit in this guy's town. Maybe, but how did they know... I, I mean, at that point, it wasn't so widespread. It wasn't like you go to a charismatic service right now and today, and everybody's in there speaking in tongues. So it wasn't like a learned behavior, is my point. Hamaka shamaka. So you're oh saying that the st- you're, you doubt the story? I mean, personally, I doubt the stories 
legit. But I mean, you're talking about a dude that built a building for this and like killed people on a yacht. So, I mean, I don't. Yeah. Buy it. I just default to people were just if it did happen, they were just doing it because they were told to. uh, We're gonna actually get into that with Parham here in a little bit and the outpouring in Topeka. But with that being said, what I found really interesting that whole situation is you've got the UPC, which will always take you back to the Topeka outpouring Mm -hmm. and to Fox Parham, and that that had never happened in like they'll always tell you there's been a remnant of the church somewhere. Um, but they'll say there was never an outpouring like that, which we kind of get the idea that Fox Parham got that idea from Frank Sanford. Because just the next New Year's Eve, six months later, he's got his students at this Bethel Bible College studying what the evidence of the Holy Spirit was in Acts. And supposedly they come to the realization that it was speaking in tongues. And then that's where their outpouring takes place. Uh, but with that being said, we'll kind of we'll kind of now jump into Parham. Now Parham was a shifty character. Um, Parham was uh, involved with alchemist. Um, there was some, I believe, uh, sodomy charges that were brought against him in the state of Texas. Um, and with that being said, um, he was also a swindler. He was definitely a swindler. Um, he was actually he was actually a very very Indiana early Indiana Jones, and we'll get into that here in a moment. He was looking for the Ark of the Covenant, so he claimed. I was gonna say I don't remember Indiana Jones committing sodomy. Just throwing that out there. I don't know, <laughs> but in all fairness, um, in the research I've done, I don't think he actually did. Well, I mean, I'm not an archaeologist, but it seems like he was on the wrong continent. Well, and we're <laughs> unless you're <laughs> he, Mormon. Why? <well>, <laughs> So, but with that being said, and in, in all fairness, I don't think he was actually guilty of what they claimed he was guilty of. Um, I think that was more some of Dowie's ex-followers that were trying to get Parham in trouble because Parham was actually trying to take over um, the city of Zion, Illinois, which was owned by Dowie. And we're, we're going to get into that here in a little bit when we get into Dowie because these guys are all intertwined. It's like they all feed off each other, and when one character starts to go down, they try to steal the other people's followers and bring them into their branch. Um, <clears throat> but with that being said, we're now going to kind of jump into Parham. Before we jump into Dowie, um, what's interesting about Parham is that Parham did teach for Frank Sanford for a while, for about six weeks approximately, during June, um, prior to the outpouring at Topeka. And we see Parham kind of being a self-proclaimed reverend of his own church. And with that, he opened a Bible college. As to how many students he had in this Bible college, I'm not certain of. But what took place was he had to supposedly leave the Bible college for approximately three days leading up to New Year's Eve. And during this three days while he was gone, he gave all the students an assignment of what the evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit was according to the book of Acts. So what I found interesting about his assignment when he left was he kind of directed the students in the place that really he wanted them to be. So he asked very specifically for them to find evidence Hmm. of receiving the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. 
Which is almost like the youth convention service that right. you went to, very leading into what, yeah. yeah, you need to run, you need to jump, you need to, yeah. So upon his return, he asked the students what they came to. And with that being said, they came to an agreement that their idea of initial evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. The students in Parham all got into a big prayer meeting and praying that the Lord would fill them with the Holy Spirit and that they would speak in tongues. There was specifically one student by the name of Agnes Osman. And what's Is really that the one that Okay, keep no, going. No, go sorry. ahead. I interrupted you. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> he hates it when I do that. No, I don't. Too. Go ahead. <laughs> Was that the one that could write in Mandarin? Am I ruining the punchline here? Yes. Well, yes. She's the one that supposedly wrote in Chinese. Chinese, that's right, not Mandarin. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they didn't use the word Mandarin. They used the word Chinese. So anyway, Agnes Osman, she asked Parham to lay his hands on her head and that she would receive the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. The story is that her head and her face begin to glow. Um, They never use the word like flames of fire or anything, tongues of fire like they do in Acts 2. Um, But they said that her head and her face begin to glow very bright, and that she spoke in tongues and was unable to speak in English for three days and they claimed that she was speaking Chinese and when she would try to communicate to those around her because she wasn't able to speak in English for a whole three days she then tried to write out what she needed to say to communicate with everyone Carrie's face right now picture. yeah <laughs> they said that she was writing in Chinese now since that time period uh, we know that the Obviously, we don't know if she was speaking Chinese because we weren't there, and there isn't any recordings that I'm aware of because it was the early 1900s. But there is actual evidence of her writing in Chinese, and it turns out it was definitely not Chinese. I was going to say, that's not evidence of of her writing in Chinese. It's debunked. Well, yes, it's been debunked. (laughs) And this made major newspapers. We're talking the St. Louis Post, which is still around, uh, did an article on that uh, during that time period. There were other large um, publications as well. And they would put pictures of her writings in the newspaper articles. And you can see them. And it's definitely not Chinese. It's more like uh, toddler scribbles. Yeah, it was like uneducated toddler. Right. So that begs the question. Do you think that she was like mentally disturbed? Actually, I don't. I think, well, I mean, maybe. I suppose it's a possibility. But I think she was pre- dispositioned um, to have the idea that she was speaking in Chinese uh, because the simple reason prior to her being at the Bethel Bible College and uh, there in Topeka, she actually had two stents of two other so-called Bible colleges and both were for missionary work and she was actually studying to go to China. China. Yeah, so obviously most likely during those two other stents of two different colleges preparing to be a missionary in China, most likely she would have probably learned a little bit of Chinese, I would think. Right. But not how to write it. At the same That's time. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. So she was already in. Did you say she was already in China? No, she, she was, was not in China. She was learning. She, she, was, she was studying to be a missionary at two different Bible oh, colleges okay. 
prior to her doing the Topeka. See, my ADD is why I can't sit and listen. <laughs> yeah, well, she was <laughs> she was studying to travel over to China and get murdered. I'm just kidding. I mean, but probably. Yeah. It's- yeah, but okay. The whole reason why I was on. Or the impression the whole reason why they wanted people to speak in tongues at that point was because they wanted to be able to send missionaries to other countries without having to train them uh yes that is true so parham got the idea at that point because his idea of tongues and this is what's also interesting because the upc now will tell us that tongues is a heavenly language it's not a known language but in acts we see when they spoke in tongues it was actually a known language that was being right. used supernaturally by god to instruct the gospel and to teach and preach the gospel to others. It's almost like a reverse of the Tower of Babel. Ooh, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Anyway. I like that. Parham was very into if we can have people learn to speak in tongues, then we can send out missionaries and they don't have to spend time you know, using Rosetta Stone or whatever they used back then <laughs> to learn the language that they were going to. Yeah, but think about it. Like, you don't know what language they're speaking. Like, that sounds kind of, I don't know, European. And they send them there and they're actually speaking like Indian or something. Like, you know, how do you know what tongue you're speaking in? Well, and so... That's a valid point. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> well, Parham claimed that there was, a, I think it was over 20 languages that was supposedly spoken. Oh, during this outpouring in Topeka. Okay, now listen. Did this guy speak 20 different languages for him to know this information? No, I don't think they did, but they claimed it. They claimed it. And during this time period, they actually did. They sent forth missions, uh, missionaries to different nations, um, and they failed miserably. Um, <laughs> it turns out there were Shocked. there mm-hmm. were missionaries sent to China. It was not Agnes Osman. Oh, um, thank God. As, as much as she wanted to be a missionary, she never... Uh, as far as I can tell, left the States to do any type of missionary work. I mean, can you imagine, though? Can you imagine being told by this guy that you now have this... The anointing of a, speaking. Right. This ability to s- just magically speak in a different language. I'm not saying you can't when you speak in tongues. Okay. Just throwing that out there. But... Hamaka shamaka. Right. And then, like, going across the world to some country you don't know anyone yeah, in. You're going to Russia. Right, and then trying to speak You're going to end up in a gulag. Like, I mean, can you imagine the, the disappointment and, like, the horrifying experiences those people had? Because if they, you don't know the language and you don't know that you don't know the language, like, how crazy would that be? Yeah, yeah they, they actually believed that they knew the language. Once again, they did not believe that this was a heavenly language. They believed it was a known tongue that was spoken by people of other nations. Yeah, Yeah. that region. So we have examples of people going to China and they get off the boat. They try to establish a church. They try to, you know, earn an income while they're there. And of course they fail miserably. Um, They actually went into poverty. These missionaries did. Um, Many of them, you know, I don't know of any that died, but it says that many of them starved for a while because Mm -hmm. They didn't have a way to provide for themselves or to communicate. And, of course, they weren't able to preach and teach the gospel. Now, there was one group of missionaries that went to China. Luckily, they ran into legitimate missionaries that were there (laughs) that had studied the language and knew the culture. (laughs) And they were able to kind of help them out and get them along until they were able to get back stateside. That also happened in India. And then I also want to say Japan as well. So there were issues in Japan and India where people had went 
and then failed miserably because they went there thinking that the Holy Spirit was just going to speak through them and they'd be able to communicate. And because of that, they could kind of also overcome the whole cultural barriers because the Holy Spirit would just kind of take care of all that for them. Okay. But what I find really interesting is the UPC likes to go back to Parham as being like their early father of Holy Spirit outpouring, speaking in tongues. And he was very into the idea that it was not a heavenly language. It was a known tongue where the UPC today will tell you, well, that only happened in Acts 2, Mm -hmm. the known tongue. Today, it's a heavenly language. Well, I think a point should be made to say that I know the very common belief in the UPC, and I actually think it's in one of their Bible studies. Somebody sent it to me one time. Um, They believe that there's two different types of tongues. So, again, again, Gary's looking super confused. Uh, So they, they believe, like, you're saved by speaking in tongues, and that's the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. But they also believe in the gift of tongues, which is a heavenly language that can be interpreted by someone else. So they believe that everybody can or should be able to speak in tongues or can speak in tongues when you have the Holy Spirit. But they also believe that some people have a gift above and beyond that. To interpret. No, not to interpret, but to speak in order to be interpreted. So if like you, if you're in a Pentecostal service and somebody supposedly has the gift of tongues, um, like at the music will suddenly get quiet. Everybody will get super quiet. Somebody will start speaking in tongues very loudly. And then another person will interpret it. Or sometimes the same person, which I find is weird, but yeah. And what's odd is that it's normally in old King James English. (laughs) When they interpret, it's like, thus saith the Lord kind of thing. Yeah. So, never mind. No, go ahead. (laughs) My um, experience with people really speaking in tongues is a lot of repetitive, you know, Uh syllables. Right. So you get this person up there who starts rattling off these same six syllables, and then there's someone sitting there going, and then he said, walk down to the store and go pick up the kid. Like, That's exactly it. They're trying to interpret this whole deal mm-hmm. when it's like mm-hmm. four syllables. Right. Yes. Okay. And, and the weird thing is, too, that I've heard, I don't know if this is actually preached in the UPC like as a general rule, but supposedly the people who i said supposedly i can't believe i just I was, said that i, I literally cannot that, I mean, believe i just said that it's very pronounced it really too. was <laughs> <laughs> supposedly um the people who do the interpretation like can't remember it afterwards that's not surprising though i mean you make stuff up on the spot you can't remember it <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> I'm wrong. sorry, that was ignorant. You're not wrong. No, but, you're not wrong. I mean, yeah, it's in King James English, and they can't remember it later. I couldn't help get the thought out of my mind. Like, think about I, to be a fly on the wall in that first service, like in you know China, where you get your building and all these people come in, and you, and you think you're speaking and you know Mandarin or whatever, and these people are just looking at you like, it's <laughs> "What is crazy. wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah i mean they probably did think they were mental i mean they had to have what else what else would be the reason if someone came in to our church and just walked up to the pulpit who didn't know english that's i mean speaking it's it's weird to think about and it's and you know we're joking about it a little bit but man think about going all that way like that's some real faith well i mean those that i mean those people were dug in at that point like they were totally into it like they believe in it they're speaking you know Right. So can you imagine falling hard? That would be a fall hard. Yeah. Or a hard fall. Good God. I need to go to bed. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, they, yeah, they were definitely, they bought into it because of the fact that it's not like you could fly there in a matter of a day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a journey. Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking it probably took months by boat and going over continent and riding horses and all kinds of mess just to get to where they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get there. Much less than having to work things out once they're there and, oh, my God, this this didn't work and how do I get back home? I mean, you would think they would have, like, checked that before they left or something. I mean, you would think there would have been at some point find, someone like, would have like, stopped and said. Find some Chinese guy in San Francisco before you get on the boat. And just, right. Yeah, like, go, go to Chinatown. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, you can go to New York to the, what's it called? You know, yeah, you do. Ellis Island? Yeah, there you go. Oh. (laughs) I knew you would know. (laughs) So, um, now what's interesting, though, going back to Agnes Osmond, is she later, and I want to be careful how I say this, recanted that she believed that speaking in tongues was the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. She did not recant her experience. She recanted that she believed... That it was the initial evidence. So supposedly she went to her grave with the idea that it was more of a second blessing. Well, there are are a lot of people that believe that too. Right. But what I'm saying is, at first though, it was her idea along with the other students and then Parham that it was the initial evidence. And later she recanted that saying she did not believe that any longer. What type of numbers we're talking about here is following this dude at this point? At this point? Yeah. Well, at the college, I believe, I want to say there was something like 30-something students, okay? But he also had a church there in that area as well. So I don't know how many followers he had at the church. But when he was sending out missionaries, we're, we're talking there was a fairly big following um, because he raised money for multiple projects. We're actually about to jump into those. What's interesting is we talked about Parham being the first real Indiana Jones so Parham claimed that he had secret knowledge, and this should scream cult right there, mm-hmm. secret knowledge of where the Ark of the Covenant was and also of where the um, tabernacle was hidden. He raised money from Christian followers here in the U.S. because he was going to do an expedition to the Middle East to retrieve these things and bring them back to the U.S. for the glory of God. Okay. So here we are in the early 1900s, Christian nationalism already rearing its head. Anyway, keep going. Yes, you're right about that. Definitely right about that. So anyway, so what gets really interesting is the first time that this happened, that he claimed he was going to go on this expedition, he kind of raised money, raised funds. Then it just never happened. And I don't think anyone ever actually questioned him about it. Because you don't question the man of God. Right. Um, because if you do, you're, you know, touching God's anointing, you're anointed, yeah. and God will strike you down. I smite at thee. Were you going to say something, Gary? I was just going to say he probably had several nice carriages, though. I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he did. <laughs> Not long thereafter, uh, I believe it's a period of approximately six years thereafter, because the first time, I think it was in 1902, the first time that he said he wanted to do this expedition, The next time was in 1908. In 1908, he sent out circular flyers throughout the U.S. So it wasn't just his own followers. Like He was asking other ministers, 
there are congregations, there are organizations oh, this to... This is like the GoFundMe slash Facebook of the early 1900s. Right, to here. sponsor him <laughs> right. to go to the Middle East to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle. And what was interesting, people then started wanting to see evidence. Like, why, why is it you believe you have secret information, secret knowledge, where you know where this is at, and how do we know that you're actually going to bring this, these artifacts back to us? And so he started reading. Well, he claimed that he had a basically a piece of paper that had the information written out on it. And it talks about there was a mountain. And in this mountain, there was a cave. And in this cave... There was a stalagmite. Yes, yes. <laughs> but in this cave, God had told them to hide these artifacts and that they were to seal it up and it was to never be found. With that being said, though, what's interesting is what he quoted as finding on this special paper um, <laughs> that he would only show a select few, and this is around the time period of 1908, it turns out he was just quoting Second Maccabees chapter 2, verse 4. <laughs> So and, he's like, this is my secret knowledge. Yes, he was. For those that don't know, the Maccabees um, was a book um, kind of in between the Old Testament and the New Testament as part of the Apocrypha. Um, most Christians nowadays don't have the Apocrypha in their Bibles. If you're Catholic, most of you do. Um, but most Christians, for the most part, don't. What's interesting, though, about that is when the King James Bible was originally printed, it was printed with the Apocrypha. So for those that are KJV only out there, you need to be reading that. <laughs> you need to follow that just like you would the other 66 books. That was 100% sarcasm, by the way. Yes, it was sarcasm. Right. We but, not so, KJV only. No, we're definitely not. <laughs> I'm a message only guy. That's also sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> so the, he could have really, what he didn't know. And this is dead serious. Is all they had to do was look in the basement of the Alamo, right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this time, he ends up not going to the Middle East. He does not retrieve these artifacts. Oh, I'm shocked. And someone calls him out on it. Good. <laughs> and when he got called out on it, he claims that this time. Now he never gives an explanation what happened to all the money the first time, but this time he claims that. He made it as far as New York to leave the U.S. to do this expedition. And while in New York, he was mugged and all the money was taken. Stop it. Now, that's, so now now he's going to go on like time number three of raising money for this? I, I don't know if there was a time number three. Okay, good. All I, all I found in newspaper articles were time one, time two. Okay. I have a question. These newspaper articles, were they like... In support of this, or were they like, this crazy man is trying to raise money for this BS? Um, well, the newspaper article surrounding the outpouring in Topeka, some of them was like, this is crazy talk, really. Um, others were like, newfound religion kind of thing. Um, with the ones with the... Issues with the um, Ark of the Covenant and finding the tabernacle, those were more like more informational, like, hey, Reverend Parham is going to go and retrieve this, and it's going to be great because we're going to have this to 
show the nation. Basically. It's like the the Chester Copperpot and Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever so, watched that. What's more believable? Mugged in New York or Tongues by Agnes? Mugged in New York. Okay. Yeah. I almost got mugged in Milwaukee the other day. True story. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> He's just going to so, uh, Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, she did almost get mugged. Yeah. He wasn't with me, though, so he can't really vouch. No. She was in a dark alley. I really was. You got to watch those dollies. Were you taking a selfie? No, no. she was coming out of a speakeasy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, you were. <laughs> I had to wet my whistle. <laughs> oh, my God. No, that sounds way worse than what it was. It was like it was like a restaurant slash bar slash like escape room. Yeah. So once you figured out how to get out, it literally dumps you in a in an alley and it was like midnight in milwaukee it was freezing cold and we didn't know where we were going even though our hotel was like right around the block so. down by our the river? Li- yeah we were I've been to no a well not there. the river no well yeah i guess we were we crossed over the river but our lift driver saved us so it was fine anyway sorry keep going it's about that arc yeah he got mugged in new york <laughs> yeah he got mugged in new york so that was his explanation as to why he didn't have the money to go and why he didn't have the money to return or to use for other godly means i guess because how would you return that to all those people in those days you wouldn't they probably wouldn't have kept track of who gave what and when well that's convenient right but at the same time yeah so that was his explanation as to why it never happened and what happened to the funds there's also another issue with uh parham In 1902, so we're going back at about the time period of his first expedition for the Ark. He gets wrapped up with a guy by the name of George A. Francis. And George A. Francis was a self-proclaimed alchemist. And for those that don't know what the word alchemy is... Me, I don't know. uh, An alchemist is a person that believes they can concoct gold oh okay yeah, i actually turn, did like, know the word yeah, yeah, yeah. okay gold. i did yeah. know that I'm just so kidding. this guy was a self-proclaimed alchemist and he also owned the george a francis chemical company i'm probably calling it wrong by the wrong name but george a francis chemical company he went to parham after seeing parham in a meeting one evening and told him that god had given him the special knowledge, secret knowledge of how to create gold. And with that, he wanted to sponsor Parham and his Bible schools. Mm, yes. That's convenient. So there's a kickback to Parham. Of course. Obvious kickback to Parham. And he was wanting to sponsor Parham and his Bible schools. And he was also wanting to use the funds that was raised by the gold that he was making to proclaim the gospel and make humanity better. So he was trying to look at it as like a humanitarian effort. With that being said... His heart was in the right spot. Okay. Francis, um, uh, George A. Francis ended up going to jail um, over fraud. Um, kind of, what kind of came to light is when he got sued by a gentleman, and I don't have his name, but there is a newspaper article in the Sedalia Democrat from the Sedalia Democrat, Missouri. Oh, in that's what I was going to ask from Sedalia, Missouri. <laughs> yes. What 1902. Is with, why is Missouri always like in the Midwest, like the Midwest in general, always like in the Midwest? Well, Missouri of, is like, in the Midwest. No. It's kind of where people give up on the trip. Right. No. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> they're always in the heart of the weird stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so what came to light is when he got sued by a gentleman that had bought stock into his chemical company, the gentleman was blind, so he had very little means oh, to begin no, with. Oh, no. No. Feel this gold. No. <laughs> yes. And so basically, yeah, they, I guess, showed him samples. Oh. If you can show him samples. I'm not trying to be ignorant. There's but they, a special place in hell for these But people. they showed him samples, and they gave him what he was told was stocks of certificate in the company. Certificates of stock, I'm sorry. And if I remember correctly, it was 50 U.S. dollars in 1902. So I have no <gasps> idea what that would be today. But I'm sure it's quite a bit of cash. Way more than $50. Yeah. There you go. Gary, I think, Gary I think goes, Gary's, Gary's going to find on out the Google. <laughs> so anyway, so when <laughs> this gentleman was put on that. trial, Fox Parham came to his defense saying that he was a good guy and that he had honestly believed that... You know, he had the ability to make gold. He wasn't sure what happened, but somehow he himself had been duped along with these other of people. Of course, poor Charles Parham. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> with that with that being said, now we're probably gonna jump into Dowie. That's now, a whole lot of information, I feel like, in Dowie. Sixteen almost seventeen hundred bucks. So seventeen hundred dollars. I mean, that's still enough for like a house payment. You know, that's like a huge chunk of money. Well, right then if you if you had an average inflation rate of two ninety seven, it'd be thirty two hundred. Okay. Oh, so gotcha. It, it was a lot of jack. Yeah, I mean that's a I mean, significant, that's significant amount significant. of money. It's not like a hundred grand or anything, but still, but that's. Yeah. It's enough to be mad about. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like borrowing twenty bucks. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> twenty bucks today. Yeah. Right. Um. Okay. Jer- Jer- Jeremy's making <laughs> more hand signals. Yeah, hand well, signals at me. we're at 46 minutes, babe. Well, we got two more characters, two more stooges to cover. Yeah, I feel like we need to do that next time. Yeah. I feel like you, you did very thorough in investigating, though. So who are we going to continue with next time? Well, next time we're going to talk about Dowie. And Dowie, um, he was pretty much a cultist, uh, just like Sanford. And... Of course, we know Sanford picked up some of Dowie's ideas. Um, we also see that Parham picked up a little bit from um, Dowie as well. And Dowie will lead into another character by the name of John G. Lake. Um, but with that being said, what's interesting about Dowie is Dowie started in Chicago. And he got a following. Again, as, the Midwest. Just pointing that out. He got a following as being a faith healer. And through this, he ended up purchasing a very, very large tract of land. Uh, north of Chicago, near the lakes. Um, and he ended up renaming it Zion. So that says a lot right there. And he kind of followed almost the same idea that Sanford did of owning this large tract of land. Um, he ended up owning the bank that was on the land. He owned all the houses that was on the land. Um, and there were businesses. Uh, there was even a business that was kind of swindled and brought over from Europe, a prominent lace company that he swindled and brought over from Europe to the U.S. He ended up owning that as well, and his followers were required to live in Zion. They rented the houses from him. Of course they did. They had to work for his businesses, and then they had to tie to him. This sounds like, um, oh, the old guy, and it's a wonderful life. Oh, Potter. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like Potter. Mr. Potter. (laughs) Yeah. What was it called? Potter's Field? Yeah, Potter's Field. (laughs) 
But we're we're going to talk a little bit about Dowie and how Parham was involved with Dowie a little bit. Uh, there was uh, some other deaths that kind of led from this. And then also we'll get into John G. Lake. And then, of course, I think and after Azusa, that episode... Right? Huh? Doesn't are, are we past Azusa Street? No, we're, we're not, not to even Azusa there yet. yet. We're not even to Azusa Street yet. No. So after that, we'll then get into probably the episode after. We'll be discussing um, Azusa. And we'll be discussing um, a gentleman by the name of Seymour, who was an African-American. He was blind in one eye. And he was kind of like the main preacher of the Azusa Street Revival. Mm. And we'll talk a little bit about how Parham decided he was going to try to take over and steal that following. Well, that would just make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we'll get into that. That's an episode or two away. Okay. Well, alrighty. We'll see you again next time then.